Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm Greg Jarrett. I'm Sandra Smith. I'm Charles Payne, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, September 27th, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. It's debate night in America as most of the Republican candidates meet for round two, this time in California, where Fox moderators will attempt to control more interaction between and among the candidates. That's how you get a lively debate between the candidates. Not an interview between the moderators and the candidates, but a debate among themselves. We speak with Fox Business anchor and one of the moderators of tonight's GOP debate, Stuart Varney. I'm Dave Anthony. Like the first Republican debate, the frontrunner, former President Trump, will be a no-show. I don't understand why he's missing the debates. He could dominate the stage. He'd be the center of attention. Uh, you know, he's not a guy who has difficulty counterpunching. And I'm Colin Reed. I've got the final word in the Fox News Rundown. Can Florida Governor Ron DeSantis reverse a downward polling trend? Can former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley punch through even more? If the attention was on DeSantis ahead of the first debate, things may have shifted now to Nikki Haley, whose polling numbers have jumped up. She and all other Republican candidates are still far behind former President Trump, who stopped by Haley's state for a rally in Somerville on Monday. And in the new South Carolina poll, I'm way up, close to 51 or 52, and... We're beating your former governor who's not nearly as good as your current governor, by the way, and we're be- not even close, by the way. Now, Nikki Haley, who served as Trump's ambassador to the U.N. after being South Carolina's governor, was recently asked at a town hall in New Hampshire how Trump will be remembered a century from now. She said Trump was the right president at the right time who broke things that needed breaking, that he was strong on foreign policy, but thin-skinned and easily distracted. He didn't do anything on fiscal policy. And, and really spent a lot of money and we're all paying the price for it. Sheep said he did a good job on the border, especially compared to President Biden. He used to be good on foreign policy and now he has started to walk it back and get weak in the knees when it comes to Ukraine. After the first debate, tech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy saw a jump in interest. Here he is talking to people at a diner in video posted to his ex account on Sunday when one woman asks him, wouldn't a wall be cheaper than sending the military to the border? The wall is not sufficient. People find their way around it under it. There's parts that can't be covered. There's, I mean, it, it hasn't been built. You need congressional authority to build it. That's and been a big obstacle. As the commander in chief, yes, you can actually get this. So I, I just, okay, I, I don't like good. slogans. I like getting the job done. Even with Vivek and Haley's bumps, DeSantis remains behind Trump, far behind him, but still DeSantis is in the number two slot. Seven Republican candidates take the stage tonight. The same crew as last time, minus Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, who did not qualify. They're all going to be pressing hard to make a breakthrough. Fox business anchor Stuart Varney is one of tonight's debate moderators, along with Fox anchor Dana Perino and Univision's Ilya Calderon. They need some momentum uh, to carry them into Iowa and New Hampshire. At the moment, they're all chasing Trump. 
and he has a wide lead over all of them. So they want to break through to diminish that lead and emerge with momentum going into the primaries. That's what they're going to try to do. I anticipate um, uh, not... <laughs> I anticipate a lively debate because they all want to make their mark. They're all looking for that moment that becomes a TV clip that is right. run endlessly. That's what they're looking for. So I think we'll have our work cut out for us to exercise control, to make sure that it's not a free-for-all, <laughs> all obey the rules. That's what we're looking for. That's how you get a lively debate between the candidates, not an interview between the moderators and the candidates, but a debate among themselves with That's... control exercised by the moderators. That's interesting, Stuart, because I heard you say that that was the hope, right, that, that we're not going to have that kind of typical format of this sort of interview style where you kind of try and keep the candidates apart, right? You actually said that the, the goal of this debate is actually to let the, the candidates debate each other a little bit. Yes. Now, there will be rules. The moderators ask a question to a specific candidate. That candidate has 60 seconds to answer. If that candidate mentions another candidate by name, that other candidate has the right to a 30-second rebuttal. Mm. It's up to us to keep the time frames in check so that everybody gets time to make their case and nobody dominates time-wise and runs away with the time available. That's a tough job, but that's what we've got to do. So tell me, I, I think it was on Fox & Friends last week, um, you said that this is not going to be about quizzing candidates on things like earnings per share for like NASDAQ or S&P players, right? The, even though it's Fox business debate, discussions about the economy will be about how we're, how we're feeling it, right? Like our lived experience with this, with this economy. Yes. When you cover the economy, there's obviously different ways of doing it. The one way we are not going to do it is to talk about the Federal Reserve, as you said, earnings per share. That's all jargon that gets in the way. At the same time, the economy is not going to dominate the entire two hours. Now, certain subjects fall under the rubric of the economy, inflation, jobs, for example, and how we feel about rising prices. But there are so many more issues that have to be covered in a, an election campaign. Immigration, migrants, crime, the cities, foreign policy, Ukraine, China, Iran, North Korea, Russia, the New World Order. I mean, there's an enormous a range of topics that have to be gotten into if you want a complete picture of the candidate's standing. So, no, the economy will not dominate two hours, but it will occupy a significant position in the debate. Stuart, I know you've been preparing, and sometimes when you prepare, you, you go deep in your mind, right? You go down the rabbit hole of, like, you know, where things could go and, and the topics. So I'm wondering, in, in light of that, in light of your mind preparing for this, you're the business anchor here on this debate stage. You're the moderator who's got the most business mind. What, what would you kind of want to hear from a candidate on inflation? I want to hear a clear expression of opinion how we get out of this. What I'm looking for is clarity. And that's something that's difficult to achieve in 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. You ask a question about inflation, how do you get clarity on that answer in 60 seconds? Well, that's our job. Also, it's, not, it's for the candidates to come up with the answers. I've got a good idea about what might be done, 
But I want to hear from the candidates what's their position, what they want to see done. How do they feel about this? Uh, my questions will not imply what the answer should be. Mm. It's an open-ended question. You've got 60 seconds. Get on with it. How, how much, Stuart, does it matter um, right now that we have a sitting president going to the picket lines to support the United Auto Workers um, as they as they fight, uh, you know, automakers, and to have the leading Republican candidate Donald Trump also planning to go there? It sounds like what the it sounds like this this fight between this particular union. And, and these car makers is, is sucking up a lot of oxygen. How important is it that, that Joe Biden and President Trump will have been to Michigan? Oh, it, it is important, of course, because they're staking out their position on a strike, the unions, and also on electric vehicles. Yeah. It's up to us to address those issues to the candidates. What do they think about it? Um, I, I would agree that Biden, the president, walking the picket lines is an extraordinary thing. I think he's in a very difficult position. He supports the unions and also supports electric vehicles. And the two, to some degree, are contradictory. That will probably come out in the debate, but I'm not going to uh, suggest to you what the questions will be, but that issue will come up. And yes, Trump will be mentioned. I expect that some of the candidates will want to go after Trump, notably, uh, Governor Christie, and I'm sure he'll be out there very much opposed to Trump, and so will maybe Vice President Pence. Perhaps um, Nikki Haley will take mm -hmm. the same position. The, Nikki Haley is, is perhaps most interesting <laughs> in the sense that she is rising in the polls. She has momentum. She has to keep that momentum going. I noticed that Trump went to South Carolina, Governor Haley's home state, and delivered a speech yesterday, he was clearly trying to dull her gains, dull her momentum, if mm. not outright knock her out of the box. So this is gonna come up. Haley, Trump, Pence, Trump, Christie, Trump, and what about the others? It's gonna come up. Yeah, I, I that was one of my questions for you. I, I do find it interesting, right? The, the Fox News power rankings say primary voters, Republican primary voters, are with the populists. And Trump leads far and away, as you know, but you add in Governor DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy, and 84% of GOP primary voters are going for one of those populist candidates. And as you know, on the other end is the Mike Pence, Tim Scott, Chris Christie, Nikki Haley. But you look at, you look at the polls, right, the hypothetical matchups between President Biden and any of these folks, and it's statistically tied except for, as you note, Nikki Haley, who's ahead of him by six points in one poll, five in another. She, what's her task then is, is to, if Donald Trump is leading far and away, doesn't seem like she has a, a chance to, to go up against President Biden. Well, let's see how that works out. I'm sure she'll be making every effort stand out tonight, as she did in the first debate. Um, she, she wants to keep her momentum going. DeSantis, on the other hand, wants to reestablish momentum. Mm -hmm. He's been falling in the polls. He will be out there on Wednesday night trying to get that momentum going again. I don't know what his tactic will be, but that's what he wants to do. They're all in the same boat, actually. They're all chasing Trump. They all want to break through. They all want to emerge with those moments, those special moments in television which are used as a, a clip 
to run endlessly on other news outlets. The moment, the breakthrough moment. That's what they're looking for. It's so true. Um, finally, Stuart, you know, you're doing this at the Reagan Library in Southern California. Your co-moderator, other than the lovely Dana Prino, is Ilya Calderon from Univision. I wonder, I think you already kind of referenced this, if this is a chance to talk about not only the border, but also talk to some Latino voters who may feel, may feel politically homeless um, right now and, and not so sure about uh, party politics. I think you're right. And Ilya Calderon from Univision, Univision, I'm sure those issues will come up. Uh, that will be where she comes from. But I'm not going to preempt anything. I'm not going to give away any potential questions. <laughs> but uh, they will be well represented, I think. Uh, may I say one more thing? Of course. Uh, it, to me, this is a great honor. Where else in the world can a man with a very foreign accent <laughs> go into a major leagues debate as a moderator and hope that Americans accept this foreign voice? I've been here 50 years. I am a citizen. I've got a foreign voice. But it's, it's an honor to be accepted into this kind of environment. And I, I really want to stress that. It's a wonderful thing. America has, I have felt the warm embrace of America. That's a big deal. And I think that feeling is probably why you get to do that. <laughs> Stuart Varney, Fox Business, thank you so much for joining us uh, ahead of tonight's debate. Well, thank you very much for having me. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Colin Reed with your Fox News commentary coming up. As we get ready for the second Republican presidential debate tonight... We look back to the first one. I am genuinely worried that that American dream will not exist for our two sons and their generation unless we do something about it. Vivek Ramaswamy took center stage with former President Trump not there, and he was a target. Chris Christie said he sounded like Chet GPT. The last person in one of these debates, Brett, who stood in the middle of the stage and said, what's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here was Barack Obama, and I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur. Nikki Haley also took aim. Under your watch, so you the will make America is, less safe. You have no foreign me, policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? The, it the shows. Foreign policy Former Vice President Mike Pence also sparred with Nikki Haley on abortion policy in January 6th was also a big focus. I think the American people deserve to know whether everyone on this stage agrees that I kept my oath to the Constitution that day. There's we no more important duty. So, so answer the question. Thing. I've, I've answered this before. So yes. Why are we, he, Mike, Mike did his duty. I got no beef with him, but here's the thing. Is this <laughs> what we're gonna be focusing on? Well, we'll see if Ron DeSantis gets his wish and that is not a big issue tonight. The first debate, what was interesting to me was the Washington Post did a poll before and after and everybody who was on that stage, all eight of the men and women who were on that stage improved. Uh, in the poll. Carl Rove is a Fox News contributor, former senior advisor and deputy White House chief of staff for President George W. Bush. And every one of them saw the percentage of people who said they were open to voting for them improve as well. 
In fact, after the debate, more people said they were open to voting for Ron DeSantis than were vote, said they were open to voting for Donald Trump because Donald Trump was the only major candidate whose numbers dropped because he wasn't on the stage. Everybody who was on the stage had a wonderful you know, evening where uh, you know, maybe they had a small amount of time like Tim Scott or they had a lot of time like Mike Pence, but every one of them saw their numbers get better. Yeah. So the question is, is that going to continue? Yeah. OK, and, well, 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 here's the thing. Donald Trump, you said his numbers went down a little bit. That Fox News poll that came out the other day, he's at 60 percent. Yeah. Look, if, if you were having a bet today, you bet on him. But the election is not today. Ask Hillary Clinton how she was looking in, in 2007 uh, and ended up losing to Barack Obama. So, you know, the, the Trump campaign, I don't think, is taking this thing for granted in some respects. He may be, I think he's making a mistake by emphasizing I'm so far ahead because the national numbers are not the same as the early state numbers. In Iowa and New Hampshire, for example, there's a new poll out in New Hampshire showing him, I think, at 39% because people in Iowa and New Hampshire are spending more time looking at the candidates and more time with the candidates than the rest of the country. All right. Now, in Iowa and South Carolina, the Fox Business polls, he was at 46 percent in both of those early contest states. Nikki Haley, up to 18 percent in that poll for South Carolina, second place. She's at 11 percent, Iowa, third place. A lot of people thought she did well in debate number one. Is she on the rise, in your opinion, for good, maybe? Let's see what happens in that second debate. But everybody who appeared in that debate did themselves some good. The question is, will that continue and will the and will the, the front runners diminish support? Will that become significant? OK. All right. If you're advising, say, Ron DeSantis, who is now third in that South Carolina poll, second in Iowa, his numbers have gone down from where they were a couple of months ago in a lot of different polls. What would you tell him? Let's go back to that debate, making certain that in the debate you understand what helped you in the first debate and how you can repeat it in the second debate if at all possible. One of the things that helped Ron DeSantis in the first debate was, I think everybody assumed that absence, uh, absent Donald Trump on the stage, that everybody would focus their fire on him, and they didn't. Yeah. Everybody else smartly said, I'm going to spend most of my time describing what I think is wrong with the country and what I what I want to do as president, which was smart on their part. Yeah, well, a lot of them, they sparred with Vivek Ramaswamy. He was the one that seemed to get the most attention, uh, getting criticized for his positions on Ukraine, his January 6th issues he has. So he seems to be closest to former President Trump among the candidates. Maybe that's why he sparred so much with Chris Christie. Do you think that'll continue? Well, I think he also he gives him a lot of he gives a lot of openings. I mean, here's a guy who said, well, you know, we need to find out what kind of law enforcement officers were on the those planes on 9-11. Really? Inside job? Is that what you were saying? Uh, he's the guy who was at a rally in New Hampshire and somebody stood up and said, well, you know, the Federal Reserve is adding zeros uh, to uh, the bank accounts of media firms and taking money away from accounts of the bank accounts of their political opponents. And rather than saying, with all due respect, the Federal Reserve isn't doing any such thing, Ramaswamy said, yeah, that's happening. And we got to do something about it. I mean, this guy has figured out that he thinks the Republican Party primary consists of a bunch of conspiracy nuts. And all he's got to do is endorse the most outrageous conspiracy. And he might be able to win. I don't think that's going to work out so well. He's third in the Fox power ranking. I got it. But you're not buying it. I'm not buying it. And again, his favorables rose, but his negatives rose bigger than anybody else. Do you think he'll be targeted again at the debate? Well, he's, he, you know, he's said some things since then that have been, uh, 
that, that, that probably make him a target. Hey, look, think, think about this. I mean, and I hate to be critic, so critical of him. This guy didn't bother to vote for president for most of his adult life. Didn't turn out at all. Some Republicans running for president are not allowed on stage tonight. Will Hurd, Larry Elder, Perry Johnson, and Asa Hutchinson, who was there for the first debate but didn't qualify this time with higher polling and fundraising thresholds set by the Republican National Committee. Doug Burgum, who will be there tonight, barely met those. The bar gets even higher for the next debate in Miami November 8th. The, the key is going to be to get the contest uh, for the non-Trump candidates. It's to get the contest down to a relatively small number of candidates, maybe one or two alternatives to Trump by the 5th of March, because on that day, there will be 13 contests. Uh, they'll all be proportional, but they will represent 746 delegates. That's about half of what you need in order to become the nominee. But most times, right after Iowa, you have a smaller field, right? And in New Hampshire, too. Isn't that true? Generally, yeah, that's right. That's right. But we, but last time around, you may remember, we still had seven or eight candidates by the time we got through March. Uh huh. The key is going to be to have a smaller crowd. Of course, this is we never dealt with this before. You've been in politics a long time. You've advised candidates for a long time. But we have a front runner who's facing four criminal trials in the yeah, middle no. of the campaign. We've never. I don't think anybody knows exactly how to handle this. Yeah. What would you do if you were running against someone like that? Well, the key is to find a way to say, I have a vision for the future of the country that's attractive to you, the voter, and I don't have the baggage. I'll be able to, in this campaign, to raise to wage a vigorous campaign because I won't be sitting stuck in a courtroom in one of four cities around America. Now, the Republican voters, particularly the people who are you know, sort of up for grabs, I'm not certain how excited they are about somebody who takes a two by four to the former president, but I do think there's a growing recognition that if you're going to spend most of the next year and a half in a courtroom in New York, Atlanta, Washington, D.C., or Fort Pierce, Florida, that that's a problem. I think there were a lot of people who were thinking that, well, you know, all these indictments, people will say, well, we can't afford to go through this. But in some cases in the national polls, his numbers are higher after getting these four indictments. I know you were talking about state polls in the early states that matter the most, but he hasn't had people leave him in droves among Republican voters. They're right there with him still. Yeah. Well, and look, I, I I think that's true, which is why I say if you were betting you uh, on both parties, you'd have to take the front runner today. But we're a long way away. We're four months away from voting in Iowa. So, you know, the, these early contests can have that kind of an impact. And similarly, in 2008, we saw where the expected victor in Iowa was going to be Hillary Clinton, but she was upset by, by uh, Barack Obama. And we know what happened with the rest of that. One issue that is interesting to me, because Republicans are far from united on things like uh, something like Ukraine. There was a Wall Street Journal poll recently, 62% of Republican voters think we've given too much to Ukraine. There are some candidates on that stage who want us to stand by Ukraine all the way to the end. Others say we've given too much, no more at all. As a candidate trying to talk to these Republican voters, it's not easy. Oh, yeah. No, no. And, and look, that's what a campaign's all about. The campaign is about seeing if you can lay out a vision for the members of your party that causes them to, uh, to you know, join your standard. Now, people have different views at different times. So it's not like you walk into this and it's sort of like, well, I'll never be able to uh, change their opinions. The, the, the quality of a candidate's argument and what is happening in the world have a big effect. That's what happens to people when they're they asked, well, do you approve of 
Joe Biden on the economy, it's not as good as he thinks because I, I'm, I and I know that because of my, uh, you know, my own personal experience. Yeah. yeah, I assume that that is going to be a bigger issue in the second debate, right? The economy. Yes, absolutely. I would suspect so. What else do you think will make someone stand out in the debate Wednesday, in your opinion? Well, how they attack somebody, um, how they defend themselves. How do what what new thing do they say that grabs attention? The soundbite. Uh, Everyone always looks for the big soundbite, right? Well, it's not necessarily a soundbite. It's a you know, look there you go again, Ronald Reagan, or where's the you know, I'm, where's the beef, you know, um, Walter Mondale. But I think some of the best lines last week were things that were more than just three words. I mean, I thought, for example, that Nikki Haley, by talking about deficits and how both Republicans and Democrats were spending too much, helped herself. Ironically, I think, you know, Chris Christie's best lines of the night were about being the governor of a blue state and getting a, and getting all kinds of uh, uh, accomplishments done. So it's not just the, you know, snappy, you know, three words, four words. It's the impression that you leave by, uh, by sustained conversation. Your prediction? Is someone going to get closer in the polls to former President Trump as a result of the second debate performance? I, I think so. I, I think he's I don't understand why he's missing the debates. He could dominate the stage. He'd be the center of attention. Uh, you know, he's not a guy who has difficulty counterpunching. And, uh, you know, name me a bad debate performance he had in 2016, 2015 and 2016 in the primary season. I don't remember one. Well, we'll look forward to watching it on Wednesday, of course. Carl Rowe, Fox News contributor, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff, Senior Advisor to President George W. Bush. Great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thank you, sir. And in other news. I'm Gianna Gelosi. The summer travel rush is in our rearview mirror, but if you're looking ahead to future trips, we have some new data you might want to take into consideration. Stasher, a reusable storage container company, ranked 99 global tourist attractions using Google reviews, quality of local accommodations, distance from the airport safety, and TikTok popularity. The study crowns the Hungarian Parliament Building in Budapest as the world's number one tourist attraction, ticking all the boxes I just mentioned. In second place, Disneyland Paris. The Blue Lagoon in Iceland ranked the third best. But what about the places to avoid? Well, Bush Gardens in Tampa Bay was the fourth worst travel destination. It's rated poorly for its accommodations. The Taj Mahal in India is the third worst due to its 136-mile distance from the nearest airport. And the worst of the worst? Hollywood's Walk of Fame. One review calls the attraction grubby and slightly scary. Others say it's dirty and unsafe. The Walk of Fame was also dubbed the world's worst tourist attraction back in 2019 when the first Stasher attraction study was conducted. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Colin Reed. What's on your mind? 
President Joe Biden's visit to Michigan Tuesday amid the ongoing United Auto Workers strike lays bare the ongoing fight between two reliable factions of the Democratic Party. This squabble has long-lasting implications that extend beyond current events, and every would-be Democratic standard-bearer is caught betwixt and between with no easy way out. At loggerheads are the unions and the Greens. At first glance, the UAW demands resemble a typical union strike. Higher pay, a 40% increase in exchange for fewer hours, a 32-hour work week, and better benefits. These asks may seem exorbitant for those whose wages have been outpaced by Biden-fueled inflation, or as one Washington Post columnist put it, too big a slice of a soon-to-shrink pie. The UAW fault lines go deeper than the old guard workers versus executive dispute, however. Underlying everything is the forced transition to electric vehicles handed down by Biden, California Governor Gavin Newsom, and other governors beholden to the Green Lobby. A government mandate of EVs is disrupting the flow of car makers' manufacturing. Consider, right now, nearly 6% of cars on America's roads are electric. Biden wants that number to be 66% by 2032. California has gone even further. Newsom signed a law forcing all new cars to be electric by 2035. Liberals' fondness of preserving choice apparently does not apply to vehicle selection. The problem with EVs run the gamut. Number one, they are very expensive. Costing more than $63,000, EVs average more than $18,000 more than their combustible counterparts. Number two, the majority of the required auto parts come from China. And number three, consumers don't want them. Despite the $12.5 billion of giveaways in Biden's so-called Inflation Reduction Act, EVs tend to sit twice as long at dealerships, 103 days, compared to the industry average of 53 days for other cars. It's no coincidence that the first three strike sites were at plants that produced bestsellers like the Ford Bronco and Jeep Wrangler. Furthermore, the manufacturing of EVs requires 40% less labor than combustible engines. Layoffs have already started. To be clear, there's nothing inherently wrong with electric vehicles. Those who want to buy one should have the ability to buy one. But so too should the more than 90% of Americans who enjoy their combustible engines, like Biden's 1967 Corvette Stingray that doubles as a storage unit for classified documents in his Wilmington garage. If EVs were as terrific as their supporters claim, they wouldn't need billions of dollars in taxpayer handouts or government mandates to force their transition. Those seeking to frame the UAW strike about workers, fair share, and corporate greed are ignoring their role in the dispute. Bottom line is, to appease the Greens, Biden and crew tossed their union allies overboard. UAW's President Sean Fain's recent warning that the unions expect actions, not words, from the president heading into next year's election was a tell. It's a precarious position for a president already facing uncertain re-election prospects. I'm Colin Reed, a Republican strategist and co-founder of South and Hill Strategy. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. The Fearless and Proud podcast series looks at acts of bravery and strength by women. And in this first season, we look at women who played important roles in the Civil War. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Jimmy Fallon inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.